0: I'll be looking out for your book and amazing. your podcast amazing and I don't believe anybody can start a podcast I take that back <laughs> hold on I'm to that get, ground I'm gonna get in <laughs> so much trouble for this entire episode Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Mar, and I am delighted to welcome my guest to studio today. Broadcaster, stylist, fashion designer and entrepreneur Sonia Lennon joins me now. Sonia, thank you so much for coming in. You're so welcome. Delighted to have you. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to play our game. So it's called Six Words or Less Okay. and it's for any of our readers and our listeners and our viewers of the show who may not know who you are. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less and it can be either a word, a string of words, or a sentence, so in your own time. Okay, Um, I didn't prepare
1: for this, so this is, um, (laughs) somebody didn't do their homework. I'm gonna say loud, fun, ambitious, uh, social entrepreneur, friend, mother.
0: Nice, social entrepreneur, are we double barreling it? Or That's is it, hyphen in there. Oh, we're a, we're a hyphen. So like it's seven. That's seven, seven words. words. Don't make me lose one of those now. <laughs> um, the thing that I was thinking about this game is that a lot of people that come on the show, like, you know, a lot of people know who you are. Um, but I suppose I want to go back a little bit and, and kind of talk about your career um, because it spans... Long time. 30 years, right? That's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, But, like, going all the way back, did you have a career plan from when you were a little girl? I, believe it or not, really did want to be a fashion designer. Okay.
1: Um, Or a vet. Um, Oh. I do love animals. Um, I think every 10-year-old girl wants to be a vet,
0: don't they? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is one of the ones that pops up I think quite so. a bit. Yeah, I think
1: so. Um, but I did have, um, and still have, actually, notebooks full of sketches of drawings of costumes and looks and, you know, outfits. And um, at the time, you know, that I left school in 1986. Mm-hmm. So... The idea of becoming a fashion designer was pretty rare, I would have said. Um, it wasn't the kind of explosive industry that it is now. And my parents weren't keen at all. Right. They, they thought it was a, a sort of a bum move. So I was steered away from that direction. Um, and, and actually, like, like most of the sort of speed bumps that you hit in your life, I think that probably worked out for the better. Yeah. Um, in that if I had gone to do fashion design straight after school, there's no way that I would have had uh, what I have now, which is life mm. experience, understanding, knowing what women want, how they want to feel, what's important to them. You couldn't bring that cold yeah. to, to a piece of study. Um, you have to kind of live it. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I kind of feel that I spent 30 years or 20 years earning the right kind to put developing. forward a product mm. that has
0: relevance. And in terms of like back then, say in 1986, even though you definitely had fashion in in the front of your mind, was it about the financial aspect of it? Was about was it about no. like, no. no, as in not because... You oh, from my parents' point of view? Yes. Was it more about like you were going into an industry that would take you an awful long time to maybe kind of earn your stripes and that was their concern?
1: Or maybe that your chances of success were so slim. Yeah.
0: So you they know. were looking out for you. Oh, 100%. But it was, I suppose maybe it was a sign of the times as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah,
1: and so then um, they encouraged me to apply for um, a degree through the CEO, just an arts degree, not just an arts degree, but an arts degree. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I got a place in UCD and I just wasn't keen. I just didn't want to, um, I, I didn't want to learn about things, I wanted to do things. Mm. And I knew that I was interested in fashion and uh, went into retail. So I, I was a shop girl in some amazing stores and, and the learnings from that in terms of understanding what a garment does on a hanger before mm. it even gets on a body, uh, talking to people, selling, learning how to sell. I actually think selling should be a module in primary school. You should be able to sell because all through your life, you're either selling yourself or you're yeah. selling your product or your service. You have to be able to do that, you know. Absolutely. And some
0: people struggle with that, I I struggle with that a little bit because I've never been in a selling realm, but like, you know, with my career, you definitely have to sell yourself. And it's it's kind of part and parcel of every industry now. Like that's pretty much what LinkedIn is. But it's something that you kind of, I think, get more comfortable with as you become more mature yeah. And more confident in your own abilities.
1: Yeah, and women, you know, <laughs> the research says that women really, really struggle to yeah. position themselves for success, um, much more so than than men, unfortunately. And where, um, a, if you ask a woman to negotiate on your behalf, she will come out with the best deal. But mm-hmm. if you ask her to negotiate for herself, um, she, a little bit of self-effacement will come in there, and she won't maybe won't do as well. So I think that's selling piece, and that. Kind of um, uh, self positioning that you speak to yourself like you are your own best friend and say, Look, I'm really good at this. And and historically, as a a nation, we've been really bad at that. You know, it's like, Who does your woman think she is? You You know, know. but now I think it's changing, you Mm -hmm. know. So um, it's okay to say, Look, I'm really, really good at this.
0: Absolutely. And so if we were to go back again, because we're kind of like Yeah, it's going to be like that. We're, like, <laughs> we're delving into Dress for Success, which we are going to talk about, of course. Um, but I suppose, you know, you were working in retail yeah. and fashion, then you were around it. yeah. Um, but you did still want to have a little bit of qualification, so you kind of went the Fashion Pure route, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. so I, well I was living in Paris at the time and I applied for um, a Fashion Pure course in Rathmines, which I did. And that was great and met some great people and um, had a great fun year, but actually went back to retail then again afterwards. And uh, I suppose from there, from being surrounded by the clothes in the stores that I was in and really beautiful high-end international collections, I was exposed to the idea of styling and Mm. there was only very, very few stylists in town at the time. So Catherine Condell, um, Susan Howick, Helen Cody was styling at the time, maybe about five stylists. Um, Nadia Pfeiffer is another one. Um, and, And so they'd come in and they'd pick out clothes for fashion editorials and shoots. And certainly there was no uh, uh, PR agencies that carried collections. Yeah. Nobody was going to London to, to bring in samples. That wasn't happening at that time. So when I saw the work that they were doing and I saw how they were basically using clothes to tell a story, yeah. I just thought, oh, my God, this is the most amazing job. Yeah. Like, how did I not know about this? And then um, I suppose it took me, took me a year or so to realize, well, I can stop ogling them and start doing it myself and see how that works out because what have I got to lose um and so, yeah, I just got stuck in and started putting together test shoots. And, and yeah. was it
0: just networking? Because obviously, like, social media wasn't as, well, it just wasn't there. It
1: didn't I, exist. It just wasn't there. <laughs> I was, like it wasn't, I had a
0: mobile phone and I was
1: mortified. Yeah,
0: so it wasn't, I was about to say, like, well, maybe you had Bebo. No, it definitely just wasn't no. there at the time. So networking and when you say, like, getting stuck in, yeah. how exactly did you kind of get stuck in? Because now... I look at like people in the fashion industry and people who say want to become stylists and stuff like that. There's obviously the whole styling for you know high-end fashion editorials and then there's TV and commercial. there's kind of becoming the talking heads and there's commercial. So like back then when maybe you were competing with a smaller pool, was it still very difficult or how, how was the networking process in say the 90s in fashion?
1: Um, I, I think it was, it, it was a very different uh, community in Dublin. It was very small. So everybody knew all the photographers all the makeup artists, mm. um, the, the handful of stylists, hairdressers. And so we knew each other um, and we, we started to work together and, and to produce a body of work that we funded ourselves just for our own um, sort of creative uh, gratification, and then very shortly after that, uh, I was asked to assist on a shoot for uh, D-Side magazine. And uh, that led to me becoming fashion editor there. So it was two shoots a month, kind of very high creative, low budget, high creative. So a lot mm-hmm. of street castings. Yeah. Um, and and from there then, uh, I became exposed to kind of commercial projects. And at the time, it wasn't, it, wa- it wasn't one or the other. And I'm not sure it still is one or the other mm-hmm. because fashion editorials are never going to... Um, Make a living for you. You're, yeah. you're just—it's not going to happen. So you have to supplement that with commercial work.
0: Right. Okay. So then I'm just like so fascinated because I'm I'm learning about like how you got from one place to another. So when did the broadcasting element kind of come into it? Because a lot of people know you as a TV presenter yeah. as well as a stylist and as well as a designer. Um, so was that something that you were approached to do, or was it something that kind of because of your work as a fashion editor? And stylist. It, it, it so happened at the very time, I, and, and it's funny because
1: I actually, only now as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that my entire career has been a sort of a repositioning
0: <laughs> exercise. But it's like, so crucial though. Yeah. It's so important to be able to do that because if you get stuck in one thing, yeah. like imagine you hadn't have repositioned yourself in all yeah. the different ways that you did.
1: Yeah, so I had been a talking head on uh, head to toe first and off the rails then afterwards. Mm. And I was kind of contributor, a stylist, uh, I would style shoots for the show because at the time they had kind of standalone fashion shoots. And then RTE approached me to do um, a, a makeover on um, curvy women. Okay. And I said, oh, I don't do makeovers. I'm a fashion stylist, like I'm, you know, I do fashion editorials and yeah. music videos. I don't do makeovers. And um, they said, well, you know, this, w- we feel re- very passionately that this is gonna be a really good item. We've got eight women um, from all over the country. And I said, okay, well, I'll only do it if we can shoot it like an editorial. If we can mm-hmm. shoot it like a tableau of, you know, amazing curvy women in all their glory. And we have a theme and, you know, if it could sit as a double page spread basically right. so we did it and it was massive body of work we were calling in this was before uh, online had really exploded yeah. we were calling in uh, uh, plus-size clothing from con- from shops all over the country it was massive piece of work anyway we did it um, the all the participants absolutely loved it they looked amazing and at the end of it the producer said to me i don't think this is the last you've heard of this slot yeah. and that was um i think that was maybe like May or something we did that piece. And then by July, I got a phone call from RT saying, look, would you, would you screen test um, to present the show? And I was like, OK. And I did another very, very big gig coming up, big mm-hmm. show. Um,
0: is this off the rails now to present is, the to show? To present off the rails. Right, yeah.
1: And I did a really, really big kind of fashion festival piece of work coming up that would have been very um, uh, well paid and it would have been a big body of work for the summer. So I had these two options in front of me and I thought, well, do I go and try out to, to present this show? Do I uh, do the fashion festival? And I thought to myself, and I agonised over for ages because actually I wasn't, um, I w- didn't want to. nothing in me wanted to be a TV presenter particularly, Mm. you know, it wasn't in my game plan. Um, And then I thought, hang on a second, if I don't do this, um, it'll never come back. Statistically, the chances of being asked to present a second TV show, it it won't happen. So I kind of owe it to myself to do it, regardless of my fears, and my fears weren't around the presenting, my fears were around losing my clients, losing my foothold professionally, and possibly not being taken seriously anymore. so I said, okay, do it. Um, and then they uh, matched myself and Brendan. Right. Um, and we knew we knew each other kind of as as acquaintances. We didn't know each other very well. We had very
0: good mutual friends. Um, and it just worked. It was such, a, like, I remember off the rails as just being such a, a breath of fresh air because I feel like it was definitely one of the first times that you know, TV studios were really investing in fashion. And like you were saying there about the makeover slot being so popular. I literally like the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, watching, do you remember Jenny Jones yes. and Oprah Winfrey? Yeah. Like you'd watch those shows, but the makeover shows yeah. were like my ultimate. Yeah. I was obsessed with makeover shows. And I, d- I don't necessarily like know what it was. I didn't necessarily, I always used to think, well, they don't need makeovers, you yeah. know, like maybe they're comfortable or what, but the transformations, I was just yeah. completely transfixed by it.
1: And I, I people just love a piece of journey yeah. storytelling, you know, and, and actually myself and Brendan, as part of our, our deal said, we have to sign off on all the candidates. Yeah. We mm-hmm. have to interview them. We have to be part of that process. We want to know why. Anybody who put on their form, I just really want to pamper. We, we bend it yeah. straight away. There had to be a narrative, there had to be a backstory and a validation of why it was important for them to do this. Um, and actually, we, we fought really hard to have um revisit shows yes. because you know, these amazing women would do this thing, it would become a catalyst for change. And all of a sudden, we'd be getting emails and texts saying, oh, I left my husband, Uh, the marriage is off, I left my job, I bought a camper van, I lost five stone. Like all these amazing things happened because those women felt confident enough to to move beyond their circumstances.
0: It's funny because in terms of like the actual format as well, like you see, and especially nowadays, like we see formats of TV come and go, some of them work, some of them don't work, but like I think one of those types of shows, you can still see it like it's it's now used around the world, like these kind of shows that it's not just about The clothes—it's more a transformative kind of process.
1: It's changing rooms in different clothes, you know. It's, it's, it's. We want to see, you know, this is the starting point and this is the end point, and I can feel gratified by that resolution, you know. But at the same time, I think myself and Brendan both feel strongly that uh, the medium for fashion now is in your hand, you know. So it was of its time, I think. we get asked all the time: Is it about, coming back? Well, is it this is back? like the
0: year of the remake. though. Yeah. like everything is coming back. Would you? Yeah. Would you ever consider?
1: I, I don't think so. I think. I think it. I, I think it should be held in. You know, aspect held there as something that was really good of its time.
0: That's the problem with remakes. Sometimes yeah. when they come back, you're just like, mm. yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, I don't know where we'd fit it into the schedule at the moment. Well, that's you know? it.
0: I mean, so. In terms of you and Brendan, and that was kind of, obviously you knew each other before, but a partnership was very much sparked and and did Lennon and Courtney come from that? Was it something that you always had on your mind that you wanted to have your own line anyway?
1: If if I go back to 10 year old me, there probably was a bit of that in there, but I think also um, every time that we put something on a woman Mm. and the big reveal was made, it would sell out in 24 hours. Right. So we knew so you were on something, we knew yeah. we had something. We knew mm. we could connect with what people wanted, and also we couldn't always find that. We just knew we want this thing, and it doesn't exist. So. We, um, we'd we been tinkering around with ranges of magic knickers and all sorts of stuff. And, and then um, we were actually approached by um, a, an acquaintance of mine again, said, look, you know, you guys should be making clothes. Like mm. people love what you do with clothes. You know what you're talking about. Um, you should do a range of clothes. And we were thinking, well you know, okay, maybe. Yeah. And we didn't have a clue. Like, we we were literally coasting on ignorance. Um, and it's probably the best way to have done it um, because if we had known what was ahead of us, we probably would have said, actually, you're okay.
0: <laughs> it really. was really tough. Massive, yeah. yeah but massive. I mean, obviously, you know, you know clothes, you know the, the fit of clothes, you know what looks well on, on a body. But what was the difference between being a very highly accomplished editor and stylist to actually designing? Like, what was the work process? Business. yeah, Business
1: was the missing piece. So... For me when I um, when I started off the rails just to give a bit of context I and and my profile kind of grew mm. and you know people wanted me to open events and sponsor uh, charities and you know be an MC at a gala or whatever yeah. I thought okay well so people are approaching me so there's obviously some value in my presence or my voice or whatever mm-hmm. it is um but I don't I want to own that I don't want somebody else to tell me me that they want me to sponsor their charity, whatever it is. Um, I have a kind of an obligation now from my position to to do some sort of social good. Um and when I read about Dress for Success, uh I, I just thought this is it. This yeah. is an organization that helps women to gain confidence to succeed at interview by giving them clothing mm-hmm. and and a narrative and a positioning to push themselves forward. And so i that was my first foray into business where I had to write a business plan, apply to New York to be granted the license to bring Dress for Success to Dublin, Yeah. Uh, identify board members, premises, business plan, revenue streams, partners, where were the clients going to come from? Mm-hmm. I had to basically do, it, it, they said it was not a business plan, it was actually an action plan, Yeah. which was amazing because when I finally did get granted the license after a year and a half, I was ready to go. It
0: took a year and a half to actually yeah. get the license. Yeah, wow. It
1: was, and and I'm pretty sure that that was a test of tenacity.
0: Yeah,
1: that they made you jump through hoops so that they could see if you had what it takes. Because actually, in in business and entrepreneurship, most of it is around having the sticking power to not fall over.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just in case anybody isn't aware of what. Dress for success does. Um, so it promotes the economic independence of women by providing career development tools and a support network as yeah. well. So I mean that sentence in itself is so hugely powerful. Yeah. Um, so it's not just about putting them in a dress.
1: Absolutely not. And and I think um, you know it's it's one of the the challenges for us as an organization is to say actually the 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 outfit is really just what you can see above the waterline. Yeah. The rest of it is, is beneath and it's it's much more holistic.
0: And so what other services then are, are offered to the people who kind of come to you? And I suppose the other question is like, you know, what what kind of people are coming to you?
1: Um, the women that come to us... They could be any woman, any woman in any room at any time. Um, And maybe just things haven't worked out for for any number of reasons. So we have early school leavers and we have members of the immigrant community. We have uh, women with doctorates. Mm -hmm. We have women who have been very successful in their careers and have lost their footing, women who have been at home and are now divorced and need to get back into the workplace. It's very, very broad.
0: So it's about, you know, obviously like, you know, dress for success. It it is about, you know, the clothing and the way that clothing can make you feel, but it's also about giving these women skills that can then kind of reintegrate them into the workforce. Because like everything that you just said there, it's incredibly daunting, Mm. I would imagine, for for even somebody who's gone and had a family and then are deciding to kind of come back in. Because, you know, I always feel like I don't like the term rat race, but like it is competitive, it, no, matter, yeah. no matter what industry you're in yeah. at the moment, especially in Ireland. And so, you know, there's the sense of like, well, if I'm, a, if I'm a woman and I wanna go and have a family and then I wanna come back to the workforce, like, is anybody gonna want me? Because there might be 20 other people who are coming, you know, through the gate as soon as I go on maternity leave. So, so I'm sure so that's we, something-
1: We are in a country that has a skills shortage at the mm. moment. Um, so we are considered to technically have full employment. Um, but there are two hundred and twenty thousand women on home duties. Um, uh, some of them want to be, some of them don't want to be. Mm. Um, and those two, there are two groups within that two hundred and twenty. Now, the larger group are younger women um, who have reached second level education, mm. who are mothers, um, and and who've never worked. Now, that's that's a whole pool of women um, that you know could benefit, and they're next generation and their community could benefit from them being economically independent Mm -hmm. that could change the course of lives in their community the other group who have reached third level or higher who are on home duties uh, who could who could come in at a different level and 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 help the pipeline of women to leadership Mm -hmm. within organizations that's an incredibly powerful cohort of women and one of our things is really we need to we need to have two different strategies to connect with both those pools of women yeah. and tell a different story and give them different tools to succeed.
0: Why do you think that it's got to that stage in this country. It, I, and, I
1: don't think it's got to that stage. I think this is legacy. It's
0: just always yeah. been like yeah. that. so it's about actually changing it yeah. now. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, you hear stories about other countries that are that are doing better in terms of that, that like have better opportunities for women to re-enter the workforce and to stay in the workforce. Yeah. And you know, you hear things about paternity leave and you know it's a, it's a big talking matter at the moment. But you know it's not fair to say that it's gotten to that stage yeah. then it's more so about the fact that this is something that's just in our history so
1: so we've 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 taken the lid off the box now yeah. and we're discussing it which is amazing mm-hmm. because for many years we didn't um, and you asked about the programs that we roll out for our clients and they're sort of one-to-one services in terms of that packaging inside and out, out piece. It's also mentorship, re- returnship programs, so really putting um, the right programs in place to unlock that potential and bring yeah. those women forward. So peer networking, um, you know, everything from financial literacy to nutrition. Yeah, Things that can help them to be the best version of themselves, for themselves and for their employer and for their families.
0: And even things like, I saw as well on your website, like you offer things that sound so simple, but things like interview prep, yeah. like things like this that not necessarily you wouldn't think of, but that you might take for granted. Yeah. And you might go in there and like freeze up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So and actually
1: all of our volunteers, and our volunteers are extraordinary. We have a pool of about 100 amazing volunteers that are all professional, um, mainly women, um and they are active uh interviewers mm. so they're at the coalface they know what's required and mm. um, it's not a, a case of delivering theory and um, our volunteers have to have five years uh, experience in being an interviewer mm. in order to prep these women so our volunteers get more out of it than our clients sometimes they're like i've always wanted to be able to say no not don't, don't say that because that does the wrong thing because of this, but why don't you put it this way? And, and so often, it's like back to where we began, yeah. it's a positioning piece. Like, who are you? Why are you valuable? What do you bring to the table? And, and and how can you bring forward those transferable skills to show that you're committed?
0: And since Dress for Success Dublin has kind of been around, obviously it took a while to kind of get it all up and yeah. running, a year and a half. Um, and since it's been going, Like, well, I suppose more so the question is before it started or when you finally kind of got the go-ahead, were you concerned or nervous about whether there would be any uptake? Terrified. Really?
1: Terrified. And I remember when I got the email from New York to say, congratulations, we've awarded you the the license. And it was late at night. They'd sent it at lunchtime or something. And I was on the couch with Dave and I burst into tears. And I, I knew things will never be the same again. Now, this is, this is a Rubicon crossed. Mm. I've made a decision to take my life in a completely different direction um, and to build an organization, to to, to turn my back on um, being a kind of a lone gun for hire, which is what I had been, yeah. and to now build something from scratch. Yeah. So I knew it in my heart. And actually, th- the irony is that without having um, formed Dress for Success, I wouldn't have had the confidence to go on to form Lennon Courtney with Brendan
0: So this yeah I mean like that's what I'm kind of going on to next. so this was obviously like a huge business yeah. uh, move and and obviously like what you were saying before there was a huge amount of work that went yeah. into it. So then when Lennon Courtney came about, were you like dab hand I've got this well I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say
1: dab hand but you cer- I, I certainly knew more than I than I had done previously yeah. and I felt um, having having launched dressor success, as a not-for-profit organisation, I thought, well, I need to then use those skills that I've learned, um, and Brandon's skills. Brandon had had formed his own company mm. in the UK, a film production company called Giant, which he had sold to Elizabeth Murdoch. So he had definitely been at the rodeo as well. So we said, why don't we just pool all our knowledge um, and and launch this thing forward? And you know, it it um, in a way, the model of fashion in its entirety is flawed. Yeah. Um, and for three and a half years, we um, labored. We didn't take a penny out. In fact, Brendan turned around to me um, a while ago and he said, how did we live when, when we launched Lena Courtney? I can't remember how we lived. And I said, uh, I'm actually not entirely sure.
0: Why do you say that it's flawed? What, what, what about the whole... Because to launch a new label, mm. um,
1: your, your power... Um, to negotiate with manufacturers and suppliers is so tiny that you're like a piece of dirt on the end of their shoe. So Mm -hmm. you have nothing, you have no volume, uh, you've no...
0: Even with your, because I mean, you guys, you you had your names, you know, and it's almost as if, would you not have been given a little bit of credit for the fact that, you know, we're here, we're established, we want to do this. You know, well it doesn't really work that
1: way yeah. because it's not a personality contest it's it's a numbers game right. and if you have to produce a short line a short run of one garment that costs X to a manufacturer yeah. if you can produce 10 times that all of a sudden there's a margin in there for the manufacturer right so it doesn't matter how smiley and nice and beautifully dressed you are really it, it's business. Be like, yeah it's business
0: right so for the first time <laughs> <mile, laughs> am
1: sure. I
0: scary <laughs> I'll never start a fashion line. anyway. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that do you know much. And, and
1: that I suppose that brings me to the next piece, which is we fundamentally believed we yeah. were doing something good, but we couldn't make the business model work. And that's where Dunn's came in. okay. And so when we when we changed the model and mm. um, and launched Lennon Courtney at Dunn's stores, that changed everything. So all of a sudden we were part of a greater network. Yeah. Uh, the, the we had logistical support we had um, more buying power, Um, we had the ability to deliver the product at a better price to the marketplace. We knew more women wanted our clothes than could Mm -hmm. afford them. So for us being able to democratize the price meant a huge amount.
0: And who are the women? Who is your client for Len and Courtney?
1: So uh, there is a kind of a ripple effect Mm -hmm. out of one particular woman um, who is, I suppose, a version of me to some extent. Um, she is a professional woman. Um, she probably has one or two kids. She uh, really It's really important to her to look good, but she's not a slave to it. Um, and she doesn't want problems, she wants solutions. She's smart, she's plugged in, she loves fun, she loves her friends, um, and she doesn't want fashion to be a chore. That's our woman.
0: She doesn't want fashion to be a chore. Yeah. That's a really good phrase. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Does she wear those pants? She will soon. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, there's only one pair. Can <laughs> I, I wear? Can them? I wear those pants? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with you and Brendan, you said that when when Dunn's and that partnership happened, it was uh, a game changer yeah. for Len and Courtney. Um, do you guys ever completely disagree on a design aesthetic for a certain line? As in, like, will Brendan come in one day? and be like, I wanna do this, and you'll be like, absolutely not, that is You Sometimes horrendous. we do.
1: I mean, I think, I think it's the kind of Pareto principle. Mm-hmm. 80% of the time, we, we agree.
0: Right, okay. um,
1: And 20% of the time, we'll have kind of um, outlying ideas.
0: And how do you kind of
1: Well, mold it's, a, it's or... a really interesting question because we're actually, we, we're in the middle of redesigning our design process at the moment okay. because what, um, there's a great book um, called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," okay. um, and it is a guy from by a guy called Marshall Goldsmith, and it basically says, you know, certain attributes, skills, and experience and behaviours will get you to a certain point, mm-hmm. um, but just because it got you there doesn't mean that those are the right skills to take you beyond that point. Right. And I think we're at that point now in Len and Courtney, where it's it's growing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are delivering new new collections every month wow. um it's it's just exploded yeah. um so so we've had to kind of look at how we do things and say that's not really fit for purpose anymore okay and and what are the decision making tools that we employ now to make sure that everybody is content that they're getting their say that everybody is you know that we're making the right decisions um, in terms of what the customer wants. Like that's yeah. that's the ultimate. How how do we know that we're presenting a collection that that she needs?
0: And obviously, you know, when you say that it's it's blown up and stuff like that. It's so well established now as well, like everybody knows the name, everybody knows the label. I don't think they do. I think, I think they no, do. Well, Maybe it's uh, just because uh, I'm the woman who wants see, those pants. Yeah. yeah, and I think
1: that's, that's the danger mm. um, of thinking that everybody knows. Like, right. uh, uh, you know, once a week somebody will come up and say, oh my God, I didn't realize you were in Duns." No. Yeah, and, and so, wow. because I think we're, we're, at a, we're at a time when we're telling a story and, and over and above that, Duns are telling a very powerful story about where they've positioned themselves, what yeah. they've done with their stores. And actually, you know, uh, you make assumptions that everybody knows. I don't think everybody knows.
0: It's constantly evolving. And I suppose the thing is, is like you have this line, right? You have this label and um, whether or not everybody knows about it, you can not say it's not a success because it is a success. Yeah. It's doing incredibly well. Um, But it's almost like, do you know the way everybody has a podcast now? Do you know what I mean? And like something is constantly coming out every single day. Um, Fashion as a whole has changed so much because, you know, when you were starting off as a stylist, you said there was only like five stylists in the whole country. And now... Every other person on Instagram yeah. is a stylist. So well, everyone's a stylist. Well, everyone is a stylist. And so that's the if thing. You have it's like a, what if you have an
1: Instagram account, you're a stylist.
0: That's the thing. So yeah. it's all changed. But I I still don't think, like what you said about the business model and the importance of that, like not everybody can have a fashion label. Do you know?
1: Oh, no. not everybody It's a can very have, different thing.
0: It's a very different thing. And that's what I think is... Is a crucial component of of what it is that you do. Do you know what I mean? Like anybody can literally start a podcast from their living room, and everybody can be an Instagram stylist. But you can't have a label that's up and running in a in a massive you know yeah, store it, it, that's it, available. It, it, it's for definitely
1: people. it's definitely a different set of skills. Yeah, um, and uh, like I said, it's not for the faint hearted.
0: No, but you guys are going to be authors now as well, right? Yes. <laughs> so you've got a book coming yep. out. Yeah. Tell, so tell go- me a bit about we're that. We're going
1: to speaking of everybody's doing podcasts. We're going <laughs> to uh, we're going to run a series of events. Okay. Uh, and and basically evolve the book mm. uh, in conversation, um, and it's called the Loving Wolf. Lovely. Um, and it's really, I suppose, about our process mm-hmm. that we've adopted to. Um, to kind of control the controllable and manage the uncontrollable, and I think p- part of our success is being able to stand back from stuff and 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 um, set our course mm-hmm. and make sure that we're staying on that course because otherwise you waver all over the place. Um, so we're we're very clear, myself and Brendan, personally, where we want to be, you know, professionally where we want to be, and and we are ambitious for ourselves as as humans and ourselves as business people. Um, and it's, it's about keeping that kind of North Star mm. in vision and, and, and making sure that you're, you're doing everything you can to get there. Because I think too, too many people um, live their life passively.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's fine, except that we, we all have infinite potential mm-hmm. in that you get to the top of your potential and you just unlock more yeah. and you unlock more and you unlock more. And that's not about money. It's not about, you know, fancy things. Yeah. It's about impact and purpose and and what what
0: what do you want to leave behind you. Well, I'm going to listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For sure I'm going to run out here. I'm going to start a label. <laughs> I'm going to listen to your podcast. Do you ever guess exhausted like you've got you've got a lot of balls in the air is that kind of fair to say like you've got so many different things that you do and I think you know like we were talking about earlier with your career you've jumped from different things and, and it, it all with you know moving it forward um, but like that must be hard to juggle at times too so um yes and no okay. right so
1: I'm not a details person
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I am very good at having great ideas um, I'm pretty good at executing them, but only with the help of others. Right. So Dress for Success is um, a phenomenal organization run by Angela and Nula and fueled by volunteers and amazing um, people who work in admin in the office. The clients are amazing. That's, that's an entity mm-hmm. on its own um, that, that runs pr- pretty much independently of mm-hmm. me. I have my role in there, um, and it's very clear. Um, with Len and Courtney, uh, again, Philippa and Josh and Julie are the lifeblood, and um, Lisa, are the lifeblood of, of, of the execution of Len and Courtney okay. and bringing it into being. Myself and Brendan are very clear where our skills lie. Mm. And we're evolving those all the time. And like I said, we're redesigning the design process. And then in terms of designing and marketing, there are key skills. So I think the way that I manage it is by not trying to do what I'm not placed to do.
0: Which is a skill in itself. Yeah. I think so. Because yeah. I sometimes the fear is if that your name is attached to something, you know
1: that you need to control it all.
0: Well, delegation is just such a huge thing that I think a lot of people struggle with because yeah, like, you know, what if the ball yeah. is dropped and and your name is the attached balls to it? i sometimes drop, you know, and that's yeah. life. Um but So it's about the team and you're very much like one hundred percent. 100%
1: and you know I, I'm honored to uh, present Architects of Business. Business in this very studio in a different guise. Uh, Our brother size. I know. We'll I... give them a plug.
0: <laughs> they used every... to nick my table actually oh, but that's terrible. Why, Yeah.
1: All of the fabulous uh, Entrepreneur of the Year mm. uh, business people that I interview say the same thing. I always ask them why is your business a success and nine out of ten times they'll say the people, the team. You know, the people who I surround myself with. And that is that is key. You yeah. cannot you cannot build an empire on your own. You yeah. just can't. And even to the point where myself and Brendan often say, I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't do it as one person at mm. the top. The 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 comfort of having the two of us there to support each other and to fill our own skills gaps yeah. is
0: is so valuable. And so I don't know if this is a silly question, but like- No silly question. What's next? I mean, like, you know, what is it that you, obviously you're gonna be doing these events and you're gonna be running a podcast, um, which I think is really just about getting to know the people who are kind of there anyway, you know, yeah. like tapping into the audience a little bit more. Um, so Well, what, for us,
1: it's not so much about tapping into the audience anymore, but offering um, a value add. So mm. so we, we deliver something that we know our woman wants, mm. But we know we have um, the ability to deliver her something else okay. that that will that will be a different kind of solution, and we want to share that.
0: Okay, so value add, which is yeah. um, obviously just as crucial. But yeah. so, what's going to be next for you then? Well, in the actually, future? I I have
1: I have um, another. <laughs> not-for-profit initiative called mm-hmm. LIFT which is Leading Ireland's Future Together and okay. um, it was founded by Joanne Hessian and I, I am co-founder as is her brother David Hessian and that's really about delivering good leadership values across mm-hmm. the society of Ireland you in, in all sectors so at the moment we are delivering it into corporate Ireland uh into sports, through Munster Rugby, Mm -hmm. into um, not-for-profit, Dress for Success, um, and some other fantastic uh, organisations. Um, We are also delivering it through education in secondary school, and it's an eight-week programme to just analyse and assess um, eight values that the nation of Ireland have have polled as the top values that need support. Things like respect, integrity, accountability, listening. and, and it's a work through, a 20 to 30 minute work through once a week for eight weeks to, to really understand those values, why they're important and how to live them.
0: I think that's so interesting because, you know, when I think back about my own education and what like I learned while I was going through it, leadership skills was never really something. It was always just about like get the degree, get the education, get in there and then work your way yeah. to the top. Um, but, you know, important things can be missed by some people. And I think that can be seen in some of the upper structures of management that are in the country yeah. at the moment. So it seems like a trick missed, so. It
1: absolutely is. And I think the misconception is that people think that leadership is a positional piece. Yeah. It's cause you have a title. We, we all lead people, Yeah. you know, whether, whether we like it or know it, we, mm-hmm. we, we, we exert our influence on people around us all the time. If you're a parent, you're yeah. a leader of your household you know so how are we going to live that in the best possible way to not only give the people around us the best way to live but but to to have a platform to discuss it yeah so why is it not okay to not listen to somebody if they're speaking to you
0: and i mean you said there was eight yeah. that kind of you work yeah. through um can you give us like a couple so listening obviously is one but what would be the other kind of so
1: uh Respect, accountability, integrity, determination, right. positive attitude.
0: Positive attitude, yeah. love that one.
1: Now, not being an eejit either, because I think positive <laughs> is that attitude- that an official one? That's an official <laughs> one. Like positive attitude gets a bad rap. And, and, I, yeah. and actually the, 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 the piece on positive attitude is very interesting because yeah. it, it, it really says, it doesn't mean you have to be a smiling eejit no. every day. It's not about that.
0: I think it's about, it's about, I don't like, right. You know the word aura, when people talk about it. aura? I I don't really buy into that kind of stuff, but I I do think that you can bring a positive attitude and still be authoritative and still get stuff done, but just negative attitude. I think impacts an entire room massively, and even people who don't know that it's happening can feel it. Yeah, that's what I think, and I, I I like detest that, and I always think it's something that a positive attitude, like, because I'm not that smiley, but I love to think (laughs) I really am, and like, especially really early in the morning. But I do think that it's such an important thing to try and come into a room with, you know, a positive mind frame, and then people can. So okay, so if
1: you were to put it in more business terms, which might be more palatable, if you if you could consider yourself solution focused rather than positive attitude.
0: Yes. So that's what
1: it's about, really. Oh,
0: solution focus is the best. But I think it's as well that some people's minds just kind of work like that. And there's nothing wrong with troubleshooting and saying, these are the problems that we're going to encounter. So
1: imagine you had a team of five with two people who were not solution focused and you spent 30 minutes unpicking what solution focused and positive attitude meant and you had a framework to talk to them and say, well actually have a think about that, are you being as solution focused as you could be, maybe not. And maybe you can bring people around to thinking, and it's all about awareness at the end of the day. Everything is about awareness. Yeah. You know, if you if you don't know it exists, you can't change it.
0: Absolutely. So where are these workshops <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could bring Link, it in. list. L-I-F-T, lift.
1: L-I-F-T, Ireland. yeah It sounds so exciting. So anybody can anybody can sign up. Yeah. To become a facilitator, so they get trained um, over two hours, and they can then facilitate groups in their home, in their work, in yeah. their school, anywhere they want.
0: Amazing. I mean, your career as well. It, it obviously affords you great opportunity as well. So you're an Audi ambassador. Yes, Isn't very proud right?
1: Audi ambassador. Um, I, I tell you, It's funny.
0: How do I sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. I, this is terrible. I don't think
1: I even told Audi this. But I, I, I decided I wanted to be an Audi ambassador before yeah. I was an okay. Audi ambassador. And I drove Audi cars for seven years before they called me. And um, the PR company rang me one day and said, oh, hi, Sonia, we're just we're just giving you a call. I'm just wondering would you be interested in um, having a conversation um, around uh, working with Audi as an ambassador? And I said, as a matter of fact, I would. I said, uh, in fact, I, I drive, drive an Audi. I've been driving an Audi. for the battle. I've been driving an Audi for seven years. And they said, yeah, we know we've seen you.
0: <laughs> Where are so sometimes you? Sometimes. Sometimes it pays to be loud and visible. And is it right you're the only female Audi ambassador? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Very proud to right. hold to hold that mantle. Yeah. Right, okay. Well you're gonna have to give me the number. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do that. I mean I'll just just give it a try. Um so just incredible things coming down the line. Sonia, thank you so much for coming oh, it's been in. Oh, it my absolute pleasure. And talk to us. And also, of course, everybody go, and you can watch Sonia interview uh, incredible entrepreneurs on Architects of Business as well. And I'll be looking out for your book and Amazing. your podcast. Amazing. And I don't believe anybody can start a podcast. I take that back. <laughs> Hold on I'm to gonna that ground. going to in so much trouble <laughs> for this entire episode. Sonia Lennon, thank you so thank much. Thank you.